Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is In the Trenches, where I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson. Guys, it's another win where it feels like Carolina barely survives uh, beating Georgia State 35 to 28 in Atlanta. 2-0 now against the the daunting Sunbelt Conference as you watch App State go on the road and take down top 10 Texas A&M. Mike, starting with you, what were your biggest takeaways? Uh, positivity pod. I am positive that we got problems. I've never been more positive of it in my life. Uh, things are better in some areas than last year. Um, things are better in some areas than they were last week. Uh, but we've got, we had some real issues up front on the offensive line in, um, in the run game that are going to haunt us. And we were off camera uh, before we started recording for everybody that's listening. Here goes the fourth wall. Taylor and I were talking about uh, some of the PFF run grades and they're not good. Um, they're like real, real, not good. And uh, PFF is, you know, obviously they're not watching the same film. They don't have the playbook, but they're usually you know, they're, they're, they're a good indicator of where they are, even if they're not perfect in terms of grading. Um, they're, they're a pretty good indicator of where these guys played. We got, we got some issues on the inside in the run game. Um, we cleaned it up somewhat in the second half, which is why we saw some improvement in the second half, particularly with the inside three guys. Um, but we've got, we got to clean that stuff up or Notre Dame's going to boat race us. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways? Uh, my biggest takeaway is that uh, I thought that our biggest strength was how we played the run and our front seven. But uh, obviously we saw against Georgia State that um, that someone could come in that they really decide if it's the team that we're playing against and they really decide that they want to run the ball, that they're going to run the ball. Um, we we kind of saw it last week against App State. Um, they, they were able to have a little bit of success on us. But, I mean, giving up 235 rushing yards against a team that going into the game, I mean, I absolutely expected this not to be much of a challenge. But I, I think that we saw um, on um, Saturday that – this team really could play with us. And I mean, it, I honestly thought at a certain point during that game that we weren't going to win the game. So, I mean, I don't, I, I really don't know where we are uh, defensively. Uh, 
uh, at this point in the season. I mean, it's really worrisome, especially going into what I think is is the hardest part of our schedule. So I, I, I will say that the positive thing about the game Saturday is that it has allowed me to lower my expectations uh, for this team. And I mean, I'm actually kind Positivity of pod. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to find a positive angle anywhere you can. So, I mean, I, I just think that this is a team that um, I, I don't think we should have too much expectations about them. I mean, I thought that with, with, with Gene Chizik coming back and some of the experience that we have returning in our front seven, I definitely thought that we'd be a dominant defense. But I mean, what, what you're seeing is the same couple of guys uh, names being called all Saturday on TV. And it's the same couple of guys that we're always talking about power apples, Cedric Gray. These are the guys out there making plays. And I think that w- what we saw Saturday is that we may have a, we, we have a really, really serious issue um, at the corner position. And I, and I don't know how we fix that during this season. The only thing, the only way I see that we can fix that issue is through recruiting, but I'm pretty sure we'll get into that later in the pod. <laughs> yeah, North Carolina, it, it seemed like they had multiple chances to put Georgia State away, and it was just mistake after mistake where it felt like UNC was the ones that were begging Georgia State, like, hey, guys, do, do you guys want to be the ones that win this game? Because it, it might not be for us today, but North Carolina, uh, they make just enough plays. Mike, you mentioned – the the run job in the in the first half Georgia State does a good job bottling it up 1.8 yards per carry in that first half but the second half Omar and Hampton goes off for his second game in in three games now at the collegiate level where he goes for over 100 yards as the team's leading rusher the team gets 6.8 yards per carry in the second half what did you see in the first half and what did you see change that allowed Carolina to find success on the ground well, first, your question said run job, and I thought you said something else. But because this is a family-friendly pod, I won't say what I thought run job actually sounded like. I said run although, job, and I immediately although, regretted saying. Although, although run job is exactly what we looked like in the first half that we were getting, and not a pleasant one. Um, what I could tell, the, cha- the biggest change between the first and the second half was when we were running – Inside zone schemes, our center and our guards did a better job of having shorter steps and they were more deliberate in taking their, the proper half of the defender that they were, that, that they're targeted at. So we saw, I'll use, there's one specific example, but this happened several times with multiple different players, but I'll pick on Corey Gaynor a little bit here. Um, we, we were down backed up. I think we're on, we were on the two, we got it out to the six or seven or eight yard line. And then we gave up a huge, a, a huge loss on an inside zone scheme. We were running to the left. Um, Corey overstepped his guy and he just backdoored him. So he took too big of a step trying to reach. Um, and I think it was more of like a, we'll call it like a 17. I don't think it was a true stretch. Um, you know, like a true outside zone. I think it was more of like an off tackle wide zone, not necessarily inside, you know, your normal 13, 14, 15 type of scheme. It was more like a 17, I think heading straight towards the tackles hip. Uh, but he stepped just a little too wide. He stepped like it was true outside zone, like it was a 19, like it was going all the way around the outside of, of the tackle. Um, dude backdoors him, hits, uh, I think it was Omar and Hampton, or uh, could have been Petaway, carrying the ball for about a four-yard loss right there. Um, you know, we ended up getting out of that situation, but it created some some real heartburn there for a second. And, and, I, and I believe it was when we were backed up. Um, I could be misremembering. But – it was little stuff like that, little technique stuff like that, where we were just out of sorts. We, 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 these are guys who know what to do, particularly a Corey Gaynor, who's been playing 
a lot of power five ACC football for a long time, had good coaches down there at Miami, like knows what he's doing and just had a brain fart. And just, I mean, and this happens, I mean, it, over the course of a game, you're playing 60, 70 snaps. You're going to have a few where your technique isn't perfect and crisp. It's just, it is what it is. Um, but he overstepped there. I saw that type of overstep. I saw, we'll call it step, step integrity. Our footwork wasn't great. Our step integrity wasn't great on our first steps in the first half, particularly on inside and outside, uh, particularly an inside zone and your stretch zone plays. Um, and we were getting beat underneath with a lot of backdoor stuff. Um, all, the defensive line knew that we were overstepping and they were just hitting that gap. EJ can explain it to, you know, you just, you see it happen when you see an offensive lineman take a big wide lumbering step, you know, they don't have a power step coming behind it. You know, they're overextended. You just loop back door. And, uh, and luckily for Georgia state's defensive lineman, they were usually right in the face of the ball carrier. As soon as they did that, we cleaned that up in the second half. We were able to take care of the first level responsibilities and we snapped off a couple decent runs, including the, the big Amar and Hampton touchdown run. We snapped those off because we took care of our first level responsibilities, starting with better footwork. And because we took care of the first level, guys like Omarion are able to, you know, make the second level miss. So even if we don't get to our second level responsibilities, we created enough clutter there, enough movement on the, on the, at the line of scrimmage to where the, we neutralize the linebackers enough to, you know, get six, seven, eight yards, 58 yards, that sort of thing, um, which was a, a stark contrast to what we saw in the first half. Yeah, my overall assessment of Carolina's offense is that um pretty it's real sure boom or bust. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Carolina has not just like a good quarterback in Drake May, but like a great borderline elite quarterback in Drake May with what he's been able to do through three games now. We've we've really been lucky the last decade with quarterbacks, if you think yeah. about it. I mean, you you know, you go from um Marquise, you know, record setter. Right. We didn't know what Marquise was going to be when he came in the building originally, but he turned out to be the man um, held off Mitch Trubisky. Mitch ends up coming in, starting one year as the number two quarterback. Now he's starting for the Steelers. Um, right. Went to a pro bowl. Um, we transitioned from Mitch. You know, we go to we have a, you know, a, a little hiccup there. Two, for, da- uh, two down years. Yeah. Two down years. But then with Sam Howell comes in yeah. right now, we transition from Sam, much like Marquise to Mitch. We're transitioning from Sam to Drake. So we've really been fortunate in the quarterback room for the past decade overall yeah you you could even go further i think to Bryn to tj yep where carolina yeah, if you ha- want to go further back yep, yeah you're absolutely yeah. right carolina has gotten great quarterback play. tj yeah tj never got the credit that he deserved yeah. tj for you know back then we were running a true pro style offense you know we were running an nfl style offense what was the nfl style offense back then um you know in an increasingly spread college environment and tj frequently produced um higher than expectations and I, ne- I never thought he got the respect he deserved yeah there's a reason why he was collecting checks for as long as he was in in the nfl mm-hmm. um but yeah Car- drake may seems like he's next in line of uh, the great quarterbacks that have kind of come through carolina recently when your skill position guys are healthy including the tight ends it, they have more than enough talent and then this offense seems like it's going to be handicapped based on how well the offensive line does and if the offensive line can give enough protection in in pass pro or if they can provide enough holes for uh, the running backs like George Petaway and, and Omari Hampton and Caleb Hood when he comes back. DJ Jones um, even flashed a bit. That was probably DJ Jones's best game up until uh, the fumble late. Um, but it, it, this offense really feels like it's going to, it like you mentioned, boom or bust 
with yeah, and pass pro is not really the problem it's the run game you yeah. know it's the offense is going to go as the run game goes and you can you can tell that longo wants to establish that that is part of their identity much like we talk about javante williams for those watching the the feed michael carter the jersey that uh, uh vip has on today you know much like those teams the, the identity of those offenses was a run first heavy run punch you in the mouth you know run 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 set up the pass and then sam just you know running up the score in the air, um, yeah. but in large part, thanks to the run setting that up, that's clearly what Longo wants to do here. And we have the talent, the running back room to do it. And we have the talent, in the offensive line room to do it. We've seen flashes of where this can go. And like I said, I think because of, you know, the, the level of competition, and I hate to say that because, you know, we've, we've been taken to the wire by that level of competition these last two weeks, but the level of competition you're seeing these first few weeks in the season, that, that development jump may actually be staggered we may not know to about week five or six um, what we really have on the offensive side of the football in terms of identity and where we're going to go, and what we can expect from the team moving forward throughout the rest of the season. I think after the Notre Dame game here, we got a buy, got Notre Dame coming. We'll really know at that point after Notre Dame, what this team is, what that identity is. Yeah. The, uh, the Sunbelt is they're taking everybody to the wire though. Georgia Southern beats Nebraska yesterday or Saturday when people are listening to this Scott Frost is, probably fired by the time most people are listening to this you so have sad to me you yes. had such su- such hope for scott frost out there you have marshall beating notre dame you have old dominion beating virginia tech uh app state beating texas a&m we might have to readjust at the end of the season the fact that carolina was 2-0 in the Sun Belt. my my sunbelt uh conference champion shirts are coming in uh just send me your guys sizes and i'll make sure you guys get some of those uh commemorative t-shirts that we'll be selling at johnny t-shirt too but ej it's something we said last year you mentioned um with quarterbacks having you know career days georgia state they they don't have the arm talent to take advantage of the weaknesses that this carolina defense has still darren granger was last week he was seven of 29 he completed 24 percent of his passes against south carolina with a touchdown and an interception Saturday against UNC, he's 12 of 17, 70.5% with three touchdowns and no turnovers. And five of, five of those incompletions, a, a good quarterback probably completes those. And, and you know, a couple of them are touchdowns. A couple of them are touchdowns, exactly. It, it's kind of a, a chicken or the egg problem where the, the defense doesn't generate as much pressure as some people would want. And the back end, in the secondary has really struggled to stay with the receivers. What do you think is the bigger problem for quarterbacks having the, these career games against Carolina? Um, it, it, like I said, it's, it's something that we've been saying for so long. I mean, I, and I can't even, this is one of those things where I can't even act like that this, this didn't happen when I was at Carolina because we played against Pat White against the in, in the bowl game, his last game, and he broke so many uh, West Virginia passing records that it, it, it was kind of comical at the end. But that was And the game a, plan was make him throw. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he did, we did. Check. 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 Three <laughs> touchdowns, 300-plus yards, and a loss. Yeah. We, we did exactly what we wanted to. And, I mean, I mean they were they were throwing the ball. So, I mean, I, I can definitely understand that. But I, I feel like right now it's, it's too, happening too consistently. If a quarterback can run the ball, if, if we're playing a quarterback that runs faster than a 5-140, I mean, he's probably a candidate to get at least 60 or 75 rushing yards against our defense at this point. I mean, it, it's honestly getting kind of ugly. And, I mean – 
we thought that our, the strength of our defense was going to be, for, I mean, for, make them run the ball, make them run the ball, make them run the ball. But again, we saw that. I mean, we, we just couldn't stop the run, even if we really, I mean, of course we really wanted to, but I mean, I think if our lives were dependent on, I don't think there was anything that we could have done with Georgia state um, or against a team that's going to be intentional about running the ball. But as far as quarterback having their best, their best numbers, I mean, like you said, I mean, our secondary has really been struggling. I mean, at, at this point, it's kind of becoming something that we're known for uh, struggling in the secondary, uh, not tackling well, and just kind of making some of those dumb mistakes. But I mean, in the beginning of the game yesterday, what I saw is that we were tackling really well. We were rallying around the ball. I mean, like I said, I just think we ran up against a team who who was ready to be physical and, and ready to to bring it running the ball. But that that, that quarterback, I definitely could see where why why he uh, wasn't as efficient as he was last week. But I mean, he he probably should have completed more passes than he did because I remember one play on Storm Duck where the guy completely beat him over the top and then he just dropped the ball. The commentators were were really applauding him and saying how he made a pro style play. I mean, I I forget if it was uh, Grimes. Grimes. Or Storm. It, it, it was it Grimes. Was, yeah. It was Grimes because he got up celebrating. Yeah, I was like, and, and, and honestly, that's the same thing that happened in the NC State game last year that let me know that we were going to lose. It's when you celebrate on a play that God just said, okay, I'm going to give you a break right here because that guy dropped the ball. I mean, he didn't touch the ball. He didn't deflect him. He, he, he didn't affect that, affect that wide receiver in any way. It just so happened that he dropped the ball. So I think that um, – I think that if if sometimes that it weren't for these teams beating themselves, we'd be in a lot worse situation than we were. So, I mean, going into the the, the heart of our schedule against Notre Dame, against Miami, against some of these other ranked ACC teams, I'm really worried about what this is going to look like. Because, I mean, I didn't expect us to struggle this way against Georgia State. But as you mentioned earlier, I think uh, at the end of the season, I don't think that these, these – I think these close games against these Sunbelt teams aren't going to look as bad as they do right now to us. And I'm sorry for laughing in the middle of what EJ was saying. I wasn't laughing at EJ. Uh, Scott Mincy will appreciate this. Scott Mincy just sent me a text message, <clears throat> and he sent me this. I'm not sure if you guys can actually see my phone here. Let me, let me see. I'm going to go ahead and play this. UNC rolling into the bye week. Hey. hey. Thank you, Scott. They, there's a couple of dents on that car, but the car is in the spot. The car <laughs> has gotten the job done. And for yeah, for you folks listening to the to only the audio feed of this, pull up the YouTube feed of this and watch that little clip right there I just shared. Yeah, it's a good clip, but um, yeah, I think I think the the secondary for for Carolina has some problems. You look at the Pro Football Focus grades and uh, the four lowest players from Carolina's defense were Will Hardy. Will Hardy only played eight plays, um, but then you have Geo Biggers. Tony Grimes and Storm Duck all grading out in the 50s. And it's this isn't a this isn't a one-off thing anymore. Uh Greg Barnes did a, a, a good article last week with like the grades from Pro Football Focus. And you know, Tony Grimes, five-star talent. He's he's graded out in the 50s or worse in set uh, in eight of his last nine games now. So um this is a trend that we've seen where the defense for Carolina ha- has really been struggling, uh, particularly in the back end and being able to guard guard good uh, guard quarterbacks in general, um, we mentioned it last week. Quarterbacks are showing no fear throwing against this this team. Uh, Granger's not the best quarterback. Missed missed a lot of good throws. That once you know Devin Leary comes to once you play Devin Leary, he's probably that not kid missing is those. Showing out this year too, and I hate to admit it. Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, he, he's not missing some of those throws. Sam Hartman from Wake Forest is is back and. If Wake Forest looks like they're going to be a power kind of 
Um, hey, did him and uh, Aaron Rodgers go the same tattoo artist? You ever notice that? No. Ah, they got like the like the same tattoo on our forum. <laughs> Check it out. You'll you'll you you can not unsee it now. But uh, Mike, it, for this Carolina offense, one of the maybe biggest surprises, I guess, it's gone under the radar. But I think John Lilly deserves a ton of credit for the work he's done with UNC's tight end room. Through three games, the tight ends have already matched 63% of their total yards from last year and 44% of the receiving touchdowns. People might try to check my math. It's the receiving touchdowns. I made sure not to count Bryson Nesbitt's uh, kick return touchdown. Shouldn't get credit for that as a tight end. Uh, He's he's fighting for playing time when when Omari Hampton runs out of bounds on the two-yard line. Uh, maybe maybe we put Bryson Nesbitt back there and <laughs> let him get loose. Um, but with Carolina's one-two receivers out in Josh Downs and Antoine Green, they've had to rely more on the younger guys like uh, Gavin Blackwell, um, Kobe Pesor, J.J. Jones. J.J. Jones struggled yesterday. That's the first time they've, they've had any kind of drops at the position. But, you know, with, with Downs and Green out, how big has the tight ends production been? And, um, encouraging for this team going forward well Kamari Morales has a lot of snaps under his belt he's, he's got a lot of game experience and he's it's finally starting to come to the surface um, he is clearly comfortable in this system he's clearly comfortable with his route responsibilities um, he's good out in open space Copenhaver showed me some wiggle yesterday I didn't know Copenhaver you know I didn't expect him to have it um, but he I mean he, he, he showed out again I mean he another another big catch in a big situation um, you know, and, and again, a good blocker and Nesbitt is, you know, he is the receiver of those tight ends and he's not, I don't think you want to put Nesbitt in there and he's not a straight line blocker, obviously, you know, put his hand in the dirt at the end of the line, end of the line of scrimmage is probably, a, you know, a, a last case scenario, um, for us, but it's, it's, it's a good position to be in that you have a guy because you have a Morales and you have a Copenhaver that are good blockers and are good on the line of scrimmage and they're strong and can also run routes that you can have a guy sort of a Swiss army knife, like Bryce Nesbitt and just stick him out there in space, put him in the slot, have him standing up in a two point um, and running routes, just like a receiver creating mismatches. You can have him as sort of just an extra piece to move around and create mismatches and problems. Um, this is, you know, we've seen this trend. The Patriots started it, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, you know, where you have these two tight end sets and you make, you know, you create a ton of mismatches uh, in the defensive secondary because of those guys, because they're good route runners, because they're big bodies and they're athletic, but they can also block. It creates issues um, in terms of matchup responsibilities for the, you know, for the back end of the defense. So um, we're seeing that now implemented here. You've seen a lot more two tight end sets over the last you know, decade or so. Carolina finally has the pieces where we have le- legitimately three tight ends Two of them can do everything, and one of them is a really good route runner, and he's good in space with the, with the football. That's Bryson Nesbitt. So um, they all have they all have decent speed. They all have good route running capabilities. They all understand the offense clearly and what their responsibilities are, and they fit in very well. And they create problems for defenses. So I would hope to see that we continue to use them um, and make them as as versatile um, as we possibly can in our offense. You know, for the rest of the year, because we're going to need them. Like you said, we've got our two best receivers are still out. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Gavin, a guy like Gavin uh, Blackwell, um, Kobe Pesor, ton of production. J.J. Jones had a bad game yesterday, but against App, he was lights out. Yeah, um, He really showed, like, you know, w- his reputation coming into college um, was that he was a big-time player. And against App, we saw it. He had a down game last week. 
you know, listen, as you're getting comfortable on the field, you're going to have ebbs and flows, ups and downs until you finally hit your stride. We saw with Josh Downs, he, you know, he had ups and downs and then he hit his stride. He's one of the best receivers in the country. Um, you know, JJ Jones is a guy who certainly has that capability. Blackwell's a guy that number two, that number two for the receivers, um, you know, that, that for the last few years, it's, that's been a, a pretty good player out good there. Number, whoever's yeah. wearing that number two at the receiver spot. So I think Blackwell can be another one of those guys and Pesor just keeps flying under the radar, you know, um, throwing the ball, he catches it, getting first downs, breaking tackles, doing what he has to do. Um, you know, to, to make a difference in the game. He's, he's pretty consistent, pretty reliable guy. So, you know, we talk about the running backs a lot and how we have sort of an embarrassment of riches in the running back room. Elijah Green's another one we don't ever talk about in the running back room. But um, I think the receiver room is another one, embarrassment of riches, the tight ends, an, an embarrassment of riches. And it all goes back to this offense will go how the offensive line goes in the run game because pass protection overall has been pretty good. Um, the RPO stuff, the play action pass work, we can get better at. But it's clear that because of all the talent we have at the skill positions, including the quarterback, this offense will go as the offensive line goes running the football. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, I like your point about the tight ends, how... You know, they, they all kind of bring a different skill set to the table. Like Copenhaver is more of that like traditional blocking tight end. Nesbitt is more that guy you could split out wide as as a receiver, like a hybrid uh, between the tight end and receiver position. And then Morales is kind of uh, the perfect combination of, of the two and why he is playing the most. And I thought it was cool for Copenhaver. He, he's from uh, Roswell, Georgia. So that was a, a homecoming game of sorts for him. Probably had a ton of ticket requests coming his way before who that. Was the, who was the tight end? This I should know he was in my draft class. Who was the tight end uh, for the Bobby Petrino Arkansas teams when Ryan Mallett was the quarterback? What draft and, class? Uh, this would have been 2011 draft. Ended up going to the Chargers, I believe. Henry? That's who, 
That no, not Hunter Henry. Um, that's who Kamari Morales reminds me of. The name will come to us eventually. That's who he reminds me of as a player. And I, kid, oh. kid was an All American. He was he was great college player. Um, that's who Morales reminds me of. So we have we have pieces that are analogous to um, in this offense that are analogous to some really good other players from from other eras um, that were being asked to do very similar things and were super productive. So that's that's encouraging for me. Yeah, the um, the grades for this week, when you look at the receivers, um, the, the three highest graded receivers are Kamari Morales, John Copenhaver, and Bryson Nesbitt. So kind of right in line with what we were just talking about when, when you're expecting them um, to have that kind of production. But EJ, the, the turning point, I thought, for the defense, they give up the lead to Georgia State. The panic is off the charts at that point. They're coming off the field. They're yelling. They're arguing. They're pointing fingers at each other. And then Power Eccles gathers the team together, gives the team a talking to. Almost wish we were a fly on the wall in, in, in that space on the sideline to hear what Power Eccles was saying because I think a lot of people like ourselves thought like the performance was way – way below the standard that this defense kind of has for themselves. And after Power Echoes talks to the team, Georgia State's offense finished the game going punt, 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 punt. A total of 67 yards on 17 scoreless plays. How crucial could a moment like that be where you get player-led leadership for this defense? I think it's an absolutely pivotal turning point. It's, it's a program-making moment. I mean, honestly, when I was there, um, when I was in school, I mean, we, we had a moment in, um, when Coach Davis was there um, in 2008 where um, we really just were really struggling. So we had to have that come-to-Jesus meeting. And not only did that change the trajectory of that game and that season, but I think it really changed the trajectory of that program. And I mean, when you see guys step up like that, who are obviously getting it down on the field, who are the guys that are flying around, the guys who are filling up the stat sheet, when those guys also step up and become leaders and provide that pivotal turning, turning point that he did in the game, I think that's very encouraging on so many different levels. And I mean, obviously we had to stop the bleeding somehow and, and become competitive in that game, but I think this really bodes well for the rest of the season. I mean, because of him stepping up and saying what he has and the way that the defense responded, I mean, I think it shows that he's going to be a leader. He's a guy that not only the players can respond, can, can depend on, but the coaching staff can depend on as well. I mean, when there are issues that they want to get communicated with the team, that he's going to be the guy that those are going through. And I think with the way that him and Cedric Gray have been playing, it's perfect that he steps up and he's becoming the leader that he has. I mean, I mean, that's just kind of the classic story of football and why football is such a beautiful game, because I mean, just at any moment, guys can kind of rally and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just truly change the way that things are going. And I mean, I was so happy about that. I'm glad that the, the people who were called in the game kind of made notice of that and brought that up because it really was a different Carolina defense after that moment. And, and I just think that I know that's something that, the, that they're going to talk about in their team meeting when they get back in there watching film of this game. But I mean, it's just something as fans that we should be encouraged about that. It wasn't a coach that pulled that whole defense to the side, but it was um, it was the, it, it was a player who took control of that. Yeah, the the linebackers going into this season seemed like they they were the biggest question mark. We didn't really know what Carolina had in power echoes from uh, a game playing standpoint. We knew that he he might have looked good in practice or shined some sometimes throughout uh, like training camp 
for instance. Um, but we really didn't know what we had in, in power Eccles and the, the linebacking play for this Carolina team has actually been the best part of, of the defense. When you have somebody like Cedric Gray and power Eccles who are always seemingly doing the right thing. And I, I think that was a moment for the defense where, they're they're just sick of it they're they're sick of not playing up to the standard that they're talking about like throughout the week all the defensive players they're they're saying the right things they're doing the right things and then you go out to the game and you have a team like Georgia State doing whatever they want but albeit with a a lesser quarterback or an app state scoring 61 points uh and I think they're they're embarrassed they're they're sick of it and uh you look at it and the I think there was another moment in that game besides the power Eccles moment. It was uh, Des Evans kind of getting in uh, Tony Grimes's face um, at one point. And I think that's those were the most encouraging moments for me from this game where where you do have players uh, leading because from from my uh, playing days, the the best things I saw were the player led leadership like that 2015 team. Guys like Mac Hollins, guys like Jeff Schottmer, guys like Landon Turner, guys that that we did not want to let those guys down at any cost possible. And you saw that as a result when when we're all out there playing for each other. And, you know, that's where the saying, you know, I got your back came from. But that closeness is is what the what is going to make a, a good team great or uh, an average team good. It, it really does help you um, take it up a level and. Mike, Carolina was able to win this game despite the offense not looking as sharp and Drake May looking more human. An unsettling win. I made a note, an unsettling win is still better than the best of losses. This Carolina team, you know, Drake May, When the more you watch college football also, I made a point, the more you appreciate what Carolina has in Drake May, kind of we, what we talked about in the the – college level but this team is finding enough plays to win week in and week out when you look around college football like we're we're looking at this in in the the prism of just carolina football when you're looking at the grand scheme of college football you know team ranked top teams are getting taken down every week by by lesser opponents how impressive is it that this carolina team is three and zero going into the bye week, and that they are finding enough plays to win. When you know, just just last year, probably this team isn't isn't three and zero, and they're not finding enough plays to win. Um, I think you make a really good point that we need to distinguish between sort of the bias with which we analyze this team, right? The prism within which we're looking at it, and. It's broader. It's relationship to broader college football as a whole. I think that's that's a that's great perspective to 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 give here. Um, it is true. These teams get knocked off every single week. Um, it's what makes college football exciting because every single week matters. And then you see crazy stuff like it's not that crazy. I mean, we know App State's a really good program, and they went down to College Station and they you know they won a football game against a good Texas A&M team that was probably a little overranked. Um, Marshall was a real surprise to go into Notre Dame and, and beat Notre Dame there. Um, but we see this stuff every single year. Um, these, these, what are supposed to be blue bloods, really, really good programs don't come out of the first five weeks unscathed. Um, Notre Dame's Oh, and two, they were top five to start the season. Um, they're the first team to do that in a couple decades from what I remember, um, you know, start the season top five 
Luke dropped their first two games. Um, so, you know, we see a team like a, like a Nebraska. Um, if you want to analogize, look at Nebraska versus Georgia Southern. That is a program that has been down, more down than Carolina has been in the last decade. Um, but that is a team that should be overpowering just from a talent standpoint, from an environment standpoint, um, from a reputation, from a history standpoint. Nebraska should just – they should win that game. It, it can be close. Carolina has to, you know, hold um, – has to hold Georgia State off to win a very close one-score game. Nebraska, fine, has to win a one-score game, you know, against Georgia Southern, but that should still be a win for them, and they didn't pull it off. So the alternative is that, right? The alternative is having all that talent, being able to recruit somewhat, having a head coach who has done – who has accomplished things in his career, Scott Frost – um, who also accomplished things as a player at that school, national championship quarterback. And they just can't get over the hump. And in fact, are getting buried by the hump. The alternative, you know, the flip side is what we're seeing. We're seeing close wins, grinding out wins against what, you know, we want to call inferior opponents, but all those guys, EJ likes to say, you know, every single week, it seems those guys are on scholarship. Um, th- that school, their endowment, their booster club, uh, footed the bill for them to come to that school and paid whatever that tuition was at that school for them to come and play football there. Um, so there was value to them from a recruiting standpoint. They People felt that those players brought value to that school. That makes them inherently valuable. That makes them good football players. So absolutely, the alternative could be what we saw in Nebraska. Um, the worst case scenario is Notre Dame or Texas A&M, of course. But it is encouraging to have a quarterback, you know, a young quarterback who can play, um, who seems to have his head on straight, very calm and collected, sort of like Sam Howell. Right? He's going to draw a lot of comparisons to Sam, but has a ton of physical tools. Um, he's also, you know, he is Sam, but a few inches taller, as far as I, you know, best I can tell, especially in his early career production here. Um, he looks much more polished um, and ready to go. And maybe that's because of the red shirt year, you know, Sam didn't have that benefit. Um, but it, it is encouraging to know that we've got a team that can at least grind out wins against lower competition. And hopefully that experience now, you know, they get in the bye week get a little healthy. I know they're all nicked up. You know, some guys are nicked up here the first few weeks, get healthy in this bye week and they carry that, you know, that grinding and out experience through the rest of the season into a Notre Dame, into a Miami, into the, the teeth, of the schedule of Pittsburgh, you know, those are, those are tough games. Virginia Tech is a rivalry game. They don't look that good this year, but, you know, they did beat Boston College last night. So, you know, they, there's something to be said for being a little battle-scarred in close wins. That stuff typically pays off. If they were blowing everybody out the first few weeks. We're getting blown out these first few weeks. It might actually be detrimental. Wins, you know, a blowout win or blowout losses could be more detrimental than maybe these close wins have been. Maybe they're learning something through these experiences weeks, weeks one through three here. Yeah, our criticism comes from knowing that if you keep playing this way, eventually somebody's going to get you. Somebody's somebody's going to trip you up. You you don't have this many mistakes, and you don't get this many breaks going your way. Georgia Tech last year, right? Should have yeah. been a win. That was the game. It's like, oh, they it caught up to them. Yeah, yeah. Our our criticism kind of comes from that, but you know, if if every week we're talking about where this team shortcomings are but at the end of the day if we're, we're talking about a win i think most fans would sign up for for that perfect season the the tommy ashley perfect uh predictions of a season um but as long as the wins keep coming the 
it's going to be um, encouraging for this North Carolina team, especially for a team that really struggled to put teams away. And now they're, they're going on the road. They're winning. Um, they're making um, enough plays to win games and, and finding ways to, to get wins. And, and you're seeing more positive things like Drake May's quarterback play uh, like that second half uh, offensive line performance where they can establish the run. You're seeing the player led leadership that people have been begging for on the defensive side of the ball, where it looks like those guys are caring just as much as us, even though, you know, it's crazy to say that the guys in that locker room care a heck of a lot more than any fans do. Um, and I, I think that kind of gets distorted sometimes, but you're, you're seeing that care when, when guys like power Eccles and like Des Evans are getting in people's face, but uh, that's all we have this week, Carolina enters the bye week before a big matchup against Notre Dame. If, if you can, if you're a UNC football fan and you live somewhere within the vicinity of Chapel Hill, if you can't get to Chapel Hill, I mean, what are you doing? If you, if you can't get up for the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame coming off a loss, um, they look as beatable as, as they'll probably ever look um, with, with that quarterback play, but we'll see how Carolina does. We will be back next week to preview the Notre Dame game. Uh, But guys, appreciate the time. Appreciate everybody listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.